Christmas is a time of giving. If you have not noticed that, you've been asleep too long. That's what the traffic jams are all about. That's what the hustle and bustle in the air and atmosphere is all about. People think in terms of giving. What shall I give? To whom shall I give? When shall I give? And giving, 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 giving. Even houses that are dedicated to helping people who have absolutely nothing send out notices that they need monetary help to take care of the food that people would like to have on Christmas Day. And so Christmas is a time of giving. The greatest gift, the greatest gift that anyone could ever give has already been given. God so loved the world. What did he do? That he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And we praise God today for the gift of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to turn with me, if you would please, in the New Testament to the book of Hebrews, chapter number 2. The book of Hebrews, chapter number 2. I appreciate the remark of Brother Randy a few moments ago about understanding who the brethren and some of the others mentioned in the book of Hebrews might be. <clears throat> I was taking this course in Hardin-Simmons University and uh, the teacher asked a question, does anybody know to whom is the book of Hebrews directed? To whom was it given? And one fellow, I believe he was born asleep and stayed asleep his whole life, raised his hand and answered, is written to the Hebrews. I thought that's a pretty good answer, don't you think? So that's who it's written to, the Hebrews, all right? In chapter number 2, verses 1, 2, and 3. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. And you can readily see that the title and subject we're dealing with is to be found in verse number 3, if we neglect what? So great, so great salvation. And that's what I want to speak to you about this morning. What better time than the time when the whole world seems to come to attention that Jesus Christ was born of the Virgin Mary and came into this world to seek and to save sinners. You find the context being a great salvation. A great salvation. The authorship of Hebrews is not certain. Some attribute it to Paul, some to Peter, 
Even there are some who believe that Apollos was the penmanship of this great book. But though the authorship is uncertain, the inspiration is most certain. Most certain. The book is encased in Hebrew terminology and has been called the Leviticus of the New Testament. I like that. The Leviticus of the New Testament. In these verses which I have read for you, I want to point out, if God gives me the grace to do so, three particular things. I've often wondered why preachers only have three points. But when they start preaching, they got about 15 or 20 points. Well, we got three points this morning. Number one, verse one speaks of a great exhortation. A great exhortation. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them sleep. The second thing is found in verse number two, a great admonition. That is a great warning. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. And in verse number three, a great salvation. How shall we escape? if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. Let's look at the great exhortation presented to us in verse number one. It begins with a little word, therefore. And you have heard me say this church many, many times. Whenever you run into that little word, therefore, you ask the question what it's there for. God put nouns in the Bible. He put verbs in the Bible. And then he put conjunctions in the Bible on purpose. What is it there for? A conjunction which refers to us what has previously been said in the preceding chapter. Chapter 1 presents to us the Lord Jesus Christ. And chapter 2 begins with that little word, therefore. Sometimes I believe it's best to forget chapter divisions in your Bible. They were not in the original scriptures. They were added by men to help us understand and organize the word of God as we study it. But just because they added it does not mean that sometimes it'd be better just to read the end of one chapter and go immediately into the second chapter as though there wasn't a little interruption there that said chapter 2 and chapter 3. For instance, in chapter 1, verse 14, talking about ministering spirits have been sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation, therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard. What is presented to us in chapter 1, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. In verses 1 and 2, we look at this 
Therefore, because God speaks through his Son, God, God, that is the Greek word theos, from which we get our word theology, a study of God. God, that name is used 71 times in the book of Hebrews. God who at sundry times and in different or divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. Well, we know that. We know the word of God came unto Ezekiel. We know the word of God came unto Isaiah. We know the word of God came unto Abraham. We know the word of God came unto Isaac. But notice verse 2, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, and by whom also he made the world's God speaks through his Son. When the Lord Jesus Christ began his earthly ministry at age 30, when he opened his mouth, it was not to tell people what he thought, He came to declare what the Father had told him to say. And so the word of God actually came from the lips of Christ. On one occasion in John 6, 63, he said, The words that I speak unto you are spirit and they are life. You know, we can put a question mark on what men have to say but you must never put a question mark on what the Lord Jesus Christ had to say because he gave us the word of God. That's one of those therefores. Because he did that, we go into the content of chapter 2. Not only because of that, but because of who Christ is. Notice the latter part of verse number 2. By whom also he made the world's. Well, if you're a student of the Bible, you know that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But as you continue to study your Bible, you find out that this man, Jesus Christ, made all the world, so he must be God. God incarnate. That is why he was called Emmanuel, God with us. When he spoke, it was the word of God. Whatever he did, it was the work of God. Jesus Christ was the Son of God, but Jesus Christ was very God of gods. Therefore, therefore, another reference to therefore is because Jesus Christ is better than the angels. Now, you usually think of an angel as being absolutely perfect. Some of them were and some of them were not. Those that were not rebelled against the God of heaven and God expelled them and kicked them out of his presence and they are demons, many of which are walking about today declaring war on our minds and on our activities. But angels are made to praise God. Angels are made to glorify God. Angels are made to serve God. They are servants of God. But who is this Jesus Christ? He is better than the angels. Look at verse number four. Being made so much better than the angels as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. 
I love that passage in the book of Revelation, the last part of the book of Revelation, when one of the angels that God sent to declare unto John the contents of the book of Revelation, when he gets through with that vision, John says, I fell on my face to worship that angel. And the angel said, you get up. Don't you worship angels. That's wrong. Don't you worship prophets. Don't you worship preachers. You worship God. Who said that? God Almighty said that. There are not many gods today. Oh, we've got a bunch of counterfeit gods and fake gods, but there's only one real living God Almighty, and Jesus Christ is his name. Better than the angels. Better, that's therefore. And another therefore refers to the fact that he is at God's hand, God's right hand. Look at verse 13 of chapter 1. But to which of the angels said he at any time, Sit on my right hand, and I will make thine enemies thy footstool. God had some pretty important angels, and some of those angels have proper names. There is Michael, there was Lucifer, and one other, I believe that other being the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the angel of angels. But nonetheless, what you may feel about that, only one, and not just an angel, but only one was allowed to sit at God's right hand, and that is Jesus Christ himself. Look at verse number 13, I believe that is, yes. But to which of the angels said he at any time, sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. And you know, and I know in studying the Bible, that when Christ left this earth after the crucifixion and after his resurrection, he sat down on the right hand of God the Father. Some years later, Stephen would be preaching the resurrected Christ to a bunch of hardened criminals. And he looked up as they were stoning him to death for his gospel message and said, I see Jesus standing at the Father's right hand. Generally, the scripture says he's seated at the Father's right hand. And I would like to preach sometime on why he stood when Stephen went down into his death. Because of that, therefore, because of all of those things, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we've heard, lest at any time we should let them sleep. Many times my telephone has rung in my office, and on the other end was an anxious parent who had just moved to Tyler and said, we'd like to attend your church. We want to know a little bit about what you believe but especially we want to know what you do for the children. I said, I don't want to sound cute, but we give them the word of God. We give little children exactly what we give adults in this church. We give them the word of God. We stand in need more of that than anything else in the world that you can do for your little boy and your little girl is give them the word of God. Therefore, therefore, 
therefore. And it goes on and on. Well, the earnest heed, that's the strictest attention. We need to listen to him and to his gospel. I'm afraid that many people sometimes, if we're not careful, we go to church not so much because of what we hear, but all of the activities. And I'm for activities. And any time you say, Brother Cozart, I love God and I love the Lord and I love children and I want to work with kids, please don't let me be the only one in church that doesn't know about it. Tell me about it because I want to put you to work. I've never been in a church yet that had a surplus of workers. There's always a handful of carrying the biggest load of the church week after week. Every member ought to share in that load. And there's something you can do, then you need to do it for the honor and for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why should we give it earnest heed that which we've heard? The things that God has spoken to us through his son Jesus Christ. Don't let them slip. Isn't that what he's saying? Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we've heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. That word in the original Greek, it means to run out as a leaking vessel. The more water you put in the vessel, the more that's going to run out. And there were those who were described by our Lord in the Old Testament as having holes in their buckets. It would not hold what they heard because they had too many leaks in their life. So therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we've heard, lest at any time we should let them sleep. Slip. That is to slip by. That's driving past a bridge outside, going down the road, all of a sudden a sign, you've never been down that road before, but as you're driving, a sign approaches and you see it and it says, stop, bridge out, and you laugh at it and keep going. Now you may go on for a few hundred feet, you may go on for another mile or two, but somewhere down that road, the bridge you thought would be there is not there and you plunge into death. That's the picture that's seen here. Don't let them slip. Now let's look at a great admonition in verse number 2. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, if what the angels had to say was truth and was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, for, it begins with that little word, for, for, since what has been said in verse number 1, Notice the words of angels were true and accurate. Not only did they go and do what God told them to do, they were servants of the Lord, but many of them had a message. It was a messenger who came to Mary and said, you're going to have a baby. They talked and everything they said was true because God had commissioned them to go and speak. These angels, the words of angels. God gave the law through the medium of angels, the disposition of angels. He gave grace in the New Testament through the medium of his Son, 
but he gave the law through the medium of angels. God gave the law to the angels, and the angels gave the law to Moses, and Moses took it down. So the words of angels are true. In Acts chapter 7, verse number 53, who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. How did we get the law? Through the disposition of angels. Every word the angels spoke were true. God hadn't resigned the meaning of the Ten Commandments. They mean just exactly the day what they've always meant, my dear friends. And you don't need an interpretation, and you don't need a half dozen different translations of Scripture. Don't Read Exodus, and you'll find out what God said in the Ten Commandments. But he gave it to man through the disposition of angels. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 19, Wherefore then serveth the law? What good's the law? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. It also speaks of a just recompense of reward. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast and every transgression and every disobedience received a just recompense of reward. What's he talking about? Whenever people did something wrong, God took them out. Ananias and Sapphira didn't die of COVID-19. You know what happened to them? God killed them because they committed a trespass of God in his house among his people and told something that was not so. Satan filled their heart to lie to the Holy Ghost. Have you ever wondered why so many people died during the flood? And God only knows how many died, but there were thousands and thousands and millions of people that died and were drowned to death during Noah's flood. Why did he do that? Because they would not listen to the word of God. They went on about their lives and their schedules like they had always done. And then the rain began to fall and the floods began to come and millions of them died. A just recompense of reward. Why do you think the Lord opened up heaven and sent fireballs out of heaven to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? Why did he do that? Because it was full of Sodomites. And Sodom has always been a grievous, abhorring sin in the face of God Almighty. And always will be. And they were making fun of it. And said, honey, if it feels good, do it. That's where we are today as a nation. If the words of angels were true and accurate, and they were, and every disobedience received a just recompense of reward, it makes you wonder, does it not, church? What kind of reward is the United States of America going to face when the anger of God is not swayed any longer and not postponed any longer 
but God begins to judge this nation like it needs to be judged. We're doing things, my dear friends, that you and I, when we were young, we would never have believed the mess we're in today. A just recompense of reward. Would you allow me to hasten on quickly to the nut, the juice, the center of this message of great salvation in verse 3. How shall we escape? How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which is the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? Let me give you this is a little juvenile. I like juvenile things. That's where my brain stays most of the time. <clears throat> There's some music I listen to, and when I get through listening to it, somebody said, wasn't that beautiful music? I didn't hear any music. It's just a bunch of noise. I can go into a picture gallery and look at a picture. We've got some artists in this church. I appreciate them. Because they, they, they'll sit there and, and they'll, 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 they'll put an image on paper and show it to me after church. And it's scriptural. That makes sense. I go in some of these art galleries. You see junk on the wall. It says, oh, this is the most brilliant presentation you've ever seen. It looks like a pile of junk to me. You ever been there before? Let me give you something that's juvenile. I understand because I'm a juvenile, I guess. I don't know. How do you know, Brother Cozart, that it's a great salvation? Let me give you some things. Number one, because God thought it. Because God thought it. We have great inventions today. As a result, somebody thought of it. But I tell you, my dear friends, we live in a world that's beyond description. It has a ceiling you cannot reach. It has seas you cannot swim through. God Almighty prepared that. Now God thought it. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, but we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth. When did your salvation begin? You said the night I walked down the aisle and let Jesus be my Savior. I beg your pardon. If you've been saved by the grace of God, God started on you before the foundation of the world and chose you in it. How do you know that? Because I just read it for you. The Bible teaches that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. It's a great salvation because God thought it. The gospel is not the result of a frustrated God. It is not a God who backed off from salvation because it was so big. He'd have to come up with another plan of salvation that more people could belong to. It's not that at all. God planned this thing from the very beginning Salvation was conceived, not in our mind, but in the mind of God who planned it before we were ever born. I believe it's a so great salvation 
Because Jesus brought it. He brought it. In John chapter 1, verse 17, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Moses was the divine vehicle that God used to bring law to this earth. Jesus Christ was the divine vehicle of grace that brought grace down from heaven to this earth where we can sing about it in our church services. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Jesus brought it. He brought it to Zacchaeus in a tree. Did he not? Old Zac think, maybe thought he was pulling one over. So he climbed up into a tree so he could see the Lord as he passed by without being seen by the Lord. But when the Lord got underneath that tree, he looked up and said, Zach, how you been doing lately? What are you doing up in that tree? And the Lord called him down. And when he got him down, Zacchaeus' eyes were opened and he came to trust Christ as his Savior. He brought it to Zacchaeus in the tree. He brought it to the demoniac in the cemetery. Over in Gadara was a man that was so wicked the people <clears throat> would not <clears throat> allow him to live within the city limits of the city. They put him out on the graveyard and he continually cut himself with stones trying to commit suicide and take his life. But Christ left the disciples in a little boat on the Sea of Galilee and went over to Gadara and saved that Gadarean demoniac. He did that. He brought it to Paul on the roadside to Damascus. How do you suppose, what accounts for the change in Paul's behavior? His whole life was given to destroying Christ and the church, but all of a sudden he starts loving the church and living for the Lord. The Lord saved him on the road to Damascus. He brought it to the prostitute in the temple. When the Pharisees brought this woman in the temple, they said she was taken in the very act of adultery. And Lord, what do you have to say about that? Christ dealt and said, If any be among you that have not sinned, let him cast the first stone. And he says to the woman, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. That's a great salvation. There are other names for women who use their bodies in such a fashion that I will not use that word because it would probably insult you and make you want to shoot me between the eyes. But you know what I'm talking about. Sorry, good for nothing, cheap, vulgar, dirty, sensuous. And yet the Lord said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. That's a great salvation. I, I like that. I like that. He brought all these people down. He brought them down because he could not reach up for them and would not preach up, reach up for He never looked up to find somebody to say he always looked down, down. And those who fell within the eye range of the Lord Jesus Christ were changed by the grace of God.
It's a great salvation. It is a great salvation because God thought it, because Jesus brought it. And then because, thirdly, the blood bought it. The blood bought it. Salvation is the only thing in the Bible which blood pays for. Selah, think of that. It's the only thing in the Bible that blood pays for. Eternal life. And it was his blood that paid for our eternal life. It's a great salvation. The blood bought it. I want to give you four references. If you have a pen or a pencil, you need to write these down because what I want to do is to give you four references and I'm going to read these references as they were touching one another in Scripture, which they're not. But I want to read it as one continual thing. I want you to know where I am. Those four references are 1 Corinthians 6, 20. The second one is 1 Corinthians 7, 23. The third reference is 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19. And the final reference, number 4, is Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12. And when you bring them together, this is what it sounds like. 1 Corinthians 6, 20, you're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. 1 Corinthians 7, 23. You are bought with a price. Be not ye the servants of men. In 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19. For as much as you know, you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And in Hebrews 9, 12, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, He entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. A purchase was made in my salvation and in your salvation, and it required the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he willingly gave his body to be crucified and his blood to be shed as payment for our sins. You see, the life's in the blood. And the life must be given the blood in order to live. It has to. And this is what Christ has done for us. The blood bought it. Number four, it's a great salvation because the Holy Spirit wrought it. (laughs) He worked it all out. According to Titus chapter 3, verse number 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done. Let me repeat that. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, 
but according to his mercy, he saved us. How did he do it? By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Prior to the work of the Holy Spirit, my dear friends, we had absolutely no hope for ever being saved. For you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and in sins. And that word quicken means you were regenerated. It's by the regenerating, renewing work of the Holy Spirit. This is what the Lord was talking to Nicodemus about when he said you must be born again. And Nicodemus scratched his head and he never could come up with an answer. He said, how could these things be? And the Lord said, the wind bloweth where it listed. Speaking of the wind being a type of the Holy Spirit, the wind bloweth where it listeth. You hear the sound of it. You don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it goes. So is every man that's born of the Spirit. That's why, my dear friends, it's going to take more than the preacher's message for you to be saved. It's going to take more than your casual becoming religious to get people saved. The Holy Spirit must regenerate you and you must experience the new birth and when you experience the new birth, you begin to act like a believer and live like a believer and walk like a believer because you've been born again the second time. Your first birth led to one thing, that's the graveyard. Your second birth leads to a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, the work of the Holy Spirit. He wrought it. He brought it about. Brother Kozar, why do you believe it's a so great salvation? Because the Bible taught it. You want to know about it? You read your Bible. Now, I'm glad that God has raised up preachers today who study the Word and have something to say through the pen and through writing. But my dear friends, never, never forget this. The greatest book on salvation is the Bible. If you want to know what salvation is and how to become a Christian or attain to Christianity, you find it in the Bible. That's God's plan of salvation. The Bible taught it. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. Well, oh, that's great. And every child should know the Holy Scriptures. Every child should know the Holy Scriptures. The Holy Scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. I will not keep you an additional hour by speaking on each of these following things. But you put this down, my dear friend, in your book of memory. Depravity is in this book. Sin is in this book. The ways of people and the actions of people, they're in this book. Human depravity is taught in the Bible. The Bible is not a book of humanism. It is a book of God that tells you the truth about you and about me and about every human being that's ever been born on this earth. You know why Adam was a scoundrel? Because he was made in the image of God. But my dear friends, he chose to do what God told him not to do. 
And everybody that's been born were just like our grandfather Adam. He got us into a mess of trouble. Did he not? Election is in this book. I don't care if I was preaching in the Roman Catholic Church today, I'd tell you for a fact, election is in this book. If you don't know election, there's something wrong with your thinker. It's in the Bible. The atonement is in this book. Effectual calling is in this book. The perseverance of the believer, it's in this book. And the sovereignty of God Almighty is in this book right here. And we have to preach it. If you preach all the Bible, we preach the Word of God. Could I mention one other reason I'd add to it? It's a so great salvation because the devil fought it. Yes, he did. Old smutty face himself. You just read, you want to, all about the devil. And he was such a terrible, terrible thing that fell from God in heaven, who was then known as Lucifer, a mighty, bright, and shining star unto a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. And he's a troublemaker. The devil is a troublemaker. And the devil fought it. You ever wonder why Cain killed Abel? Where'd he get that idea? When Cain found out that Abel's offering was accepted by God and his wasn't, he got mad at Cain for it. He, pardon me, Cain got mad at Abel for it. And he went home and got on television and figured out a way maybe he could figure out how he could get rid of Abel. Hit him in the head with a shovel. Yes, sir, Ray. And that's what he did. Who was behind that? The devil. Why? Because Abel was the seed carrying select by God who would carry the seed. And when Abel was taken out, Seth, his brother, replaced him with that. That the Messiah would come through a seed. And the devil tried to destroy God's process of bringing to pass a Messiah that would come to this earth. The devil attempted to stop Christ after his birth. One where Herod got the idea that he would make an edict that everybody in the Roman Empire, if any of the women had a male child two years old and under, that the soldiers would go out and kill it because he had heard that Jesus Christ was born and he wanted to stop God's process of salvation. The devil attempted to thwart and does today every effort of God's grace on us. Where do you think modernism came from? Where do you think Arminianism came from? Where do you think liberalism came from? Where do you think communism came from? Why do you think the world, people are supposed to be rational beings that can think a little bit, have bought into this business of climate change and all of this junk that we hear today 
under the president of the United. Where did they get all that? I tell you who they got it from. They got it from the devil. And they voted for the devil when they voted for the man in office. You're welcome. I love you too. They won't let me get on television anymore, so you're it. Okay? It concludes by a question, how shall we escape? If we neglect so great a salvation, if we turn our back on this great salvation, how shall we escape? Escape what? Let me read you what. In Matthew chapter number 23, verse number 33. And in that 23rd chapter, the Lord is denouncing the Pharisees. Verse 23, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 25, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. In verse 26, thou blind Pharisees, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Verse 27, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. Verse number 29, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. And he concludes it in verse 33, you serpents, you generation of vipers, how shall you escape the damnation of hell? If we turn our back on what God has done, If we were to do that, my dear friend, we have no hope in this world or the world to come. If we neglect it, that word neglect there in Matthew 22, verse number 5, means to make light of. The King James put it down, made light of. In chapter 22, verse 5 of Matthew, but they made light of it. It means they neglected it. That's the word that's in the Greek. They neglected it. They made light of it. They made fun of it and went their ways, one to his farm, one to his merchandise. I believe it is over in the Gospel of Luke where he goes into detail about some of the response when the king set out an invitation for people to come that the banquet was ready. And one guy said, well, you know what? I bought me a piece of ground. I paid for it. I bought it. And I think I'll go and see what it looks like. Now, ain't that stupid? Anybody here today that's interested in buying some property and paying for it and then going and seeing what it looked like? No, you won't see what it looked like. And then I'll let you know whether I want to buy it or not. They made light of it. One guy said, well, i tell you what, I bought me five oxen, and I've already paid for them. I want to go see just how reliable they are. As far as he knew, they dead oxen. That's stupid. You know why it's stupid? Because they were making light of it. And if that's not stupidity gone to bed, I tell you, this one takes the cake. I married a wife, and I cannot come. Well, your wife should be tickled to death to get out of staying and slaving in the kitchen and going down to the king's banquet hall. No, that's making light of it. 
Where do people go who make light of it? They go to eternal damnation in hell. The Lord said that. The Word said that. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we've heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. If the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? I presume that everyone who's present in this audience today has come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. I trust that be a true statement. But there are many, many, many people all over our world who have never come to know Christ and never will come to know him without Christ revealing himself to them and them hearing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. May God make us grateful today to realize that out of all the giving that shall be done at this season of the year, there's no way in the world you can begin to equal or top. The greatest gift was God's gift of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He provided us with a great salvation. Let's stand please for prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we cannot begin to fully understand and completely understand how beautiful the grace of God is. One day we shall, but Father, our minds won't allow us to reach that height and go that deep. How wonderful salvation is to have our sins forgiven by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ who was born into this world, who came into this world for the principal purpose of dying for our sins on the cross of Calvary. And Lord, we will spend eternity praising thy name and just rejoicing around your throne for great and wonderful things which thou hast done. If there are those under the sound of my voice today, oh dear God, that need a Savior, may they realize their need and look to Christ as the only salvation that we have, ever will have in him. For we ask these things in Christ's name, and for his blessed sake we pray.